welcome to the exhaust notes podcast what is good everyone welcome back to the exhaust notes podcast my name is nick ingvall i've got my guy todd and Rowett to talk about the final race of the season i don't know i don't even know where to start there's there's so many there's so many emotions this is back-to-back emotional episodes guys where do we even go from here i will let you don't get said don't yeah danka danka danke danka danka i used to be like semi-fluent in german this is embarrassing uh yeah thanks seb uh you know what thank you seb for your racing f you for 80 dollar t-shirts that's all i'm gonna say i'm gonna continue the thread (laughs) from last year last episode but yeah the watching that man get a victory lap and having seen a lot of my heroes in other sports recently go through their own victory lap of retirement you can truly tell that that guy means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but in the best way imaginable. Yeah, I, I definitely haven't seen quite a, a send off like that for anyone in Formula One in my, you know, 20, 30 years of, of watching. Like it, it was like. I felt like it was way more emotional, way more like genuine and way more people that wanted to say goodbye, you know, and, and like, I feel like he's one of those rare breeds of like, yeah, he had his, he had his early aggressive years like they all do, but you know, enough championships to be respected with, with all the greats and doing enough, you know, for the sport to be respected by everybody in the business. So I'm definitely going to miss him. Hopefully, you know, hopefully he's around somehow, some way. No, we will always have Suzuka because as the man famously said, it's his favorite track. And I think let's start a Kickstarter right now. We'll figure out who the Nicholas Latifi equivalent is for next year. We'll donate them an undisclosed amount of cash and say, you know what? Take a sick week. Seb, come on in. (laughs) That's the only way we're getting Seb back. Unless, are you guys believing the rumors that he would be back? I'm not as of right now. I say let the man enjoy his life for a year before we haphazardly start throwing him into the Alfa Romeos of two years from now. But what do you make of that, Todd? I don't think, I don't think we'll get him back in a racing format. Like going back to what you guys said, like it did feel like a very concerted effort all weekend and all the events they did that to like make him understand how appreciated he was across the paddock. Like they did. You know, the teams did things for him. The entire paddock, like, signed this giant painting that somebody did for him. Uh, they did a, a a run, like a track Five run, because Seb always does track runs. But, like, I guess, like, 200 people across the paddock showed up, journalists, everybody. And that was, like, a big thing. And then, obviously, they do the donuts at the end of the year, every year. Um, but like, you know, him getting his own like time to shine, do his own separate donuts. And um, yeah. I don't know. I, I think there's a chance that we have him come back in some fashion with Audi in 2026. Like a, maybe, a, you know, what Lauda used to do for, for Merck or, or 
Prost used to do for Alpine or Renault, whatever, like some sort of a consulting role. But I don't think we'll get him back in like a full-time race car. I mean, it's funny you bring up Nicky Lauda because he's one of the, you know, handful of drivers that actually retired and then came back, right? Like him, Michael Schumacher, they all, Felipe, they, Felipe Massa. They all have. Up. Yeah. Like, yeah. I Alonso, was retired Alonso. twice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will say this. I think my favorite part of the sub retirement was all the photos of the dinner driver or the driver dinners and just trying to psychoanalyze the yearbook photos of all of them standing together and trying to be like, all right, it's really interesting that so-and-so standing next to so-and-so. But once again, Everything I know about Seb has been picked up over the last three years, and it truly has been a passion of his to leave the sport in a better place than what he found it. If that's the type of goodwill that he can enforce and bring people together, like the likes of Alonzo, Verstappen, uh, Ocon, all these people that certain pockets of the internet have very vitriolic feelings towards, well, kudos to you, Seb. You truly are a miracle worker on and off the track. Just lower that B t-shirt price down to about $45 and I'll contemplate it. <laughs> well, the one good thing about paying $80 for a t-shirt from Seb is you know that the money is going to go to something actually meaningful as opposed to most of the people you're going to buy a $50 t-shirt from. It's just going into somebody's uh, pockets. I'm, I'm ready doesn't... to see the receipt say, Seb Vettel just put this in your name for the human fund. Shout out to George Costanza and Art Vandalay. But before we go any further, guys, should we go over the last race notes of the year? Because it's kind of a sobering thought. I didn't want to do it, but alas, we are still a podcast that informs a lot of people's opinions of this. So for one last time, let's just go through the race order. In Let's first place, we had Max Verstappen. Second place, we had Charles Leclerc. Third place, we had Sergio Perez. Fourth place, Carlos Sainz. Fifth, George Russell. Sixth, Lando Norris. Seventh, the Estebandit, Esteban Ocon. Eighth, Canada's own Lance Stroll. Ninth, Racing in Peace, Danny Ricardo. Tenth, Racing in Peace as well, Sebastian Vettel. Eleventh was Yuki Tsunoda. Twelfth was Guan Yu Zhou. Thirteenth was Alex Albon. Fourteenth was Pierre Gasly. Fifteenth was Valtteri Bottas. 16th was Mick Schumacher, 17th was Kevin Magnuson, and then the three DNFs, Lewis Hamilton, Nicholas, the GOAT, Latifi, Fernando Alonso, and 20th. Where do we want to start picking the bones of this race? Can we start with Fernando Alonso? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Which is like a weird place to start. But what do you think the estimated points in his mind that he's lost this year due to reliability? In like he's mind? probably so... He probably just wanted to like get out on the track and just walk walk off like pull, pull the Kimi Raikkonen just walk straight from the track to, <laughs> to the yacht, yacht and jump into the <laughs> harbor. Yeah. <laughs> well, like simultaneously lighting the car on fire and giving the finger to Alpine. Yeah, that that was really rough. I mean, I, I don't know. I I think that Alonso probably is a little harder than most drivers when it comes to points, you know, points cost by the team, but also he has had probably one of the worst years that I can remember in recent memory in terms of just the absolute frustration. And although I would never wish the last race of the year to, to end the way it did for anyone, it was absolutely fitting <laughs> that that he couldn't finish. So I am a big believer of karmic implications 
And I just think it is a nice chef's kiss. The way that he, in my opinion, masterminded the departure of not only him, but who's the driver that is going to be racing for McLaren that McLaren poached Malpine? Oh, Oscar Piastris. This is karma for that. I'm convinced that's the case. And to answer your question, Todd, in Fernando Alonso's mind, he set the new Formula One points record because he's won every single race he would have entered had he not been in an Alpine this year. That's my hot <laughs> I don't think he's that crazy, but the man had seven, I think I just counted, seven DNFs, none of which I can't remember. I'm trying to remember back. This was a, seemed like a really long season, but I can't remember him causing any DNFs. It was all mechanical, right? It had to be because, I mean, to your point, I'm just going to go through them. You guys keep a running tally at home. We had a DNF in uh, Jeddah. We had another DNF in Italy. Then we were about scot-free until we had back-to-backs in Monza and Singapore, then in Mexico, and now Abu Dhabi. So is that six? I have oh, six. Kinda, okay. Yeah. But right. I feel he was also the king of this season in like eighth or ninth place. Something goofy happens, and then he's out of the points. So it's not even just the DNFs. It's just the bad luck from racing position that I think we also have to kind of evaluate when we're talking about Fernando Alonso this year. I think the funnier thing about that is if if this mostly F1.com list is is correct, if he had six, then that means Ocon only had two, which only just hammers home the conspiracy theory in his mind right now. It's like, no, but they had a couple races, I think, where they both DNF'd. Like Alpine well, yeah, but- as a constructor was just ridiculous this year. They were the picture of consistency. Let's see. Ocon had a DNF in Silverstone. A, yep, Singapore, they both DNF'd. And you're absolutely right. Ocon only had two. So say what you will about Ocon. He is Fernando Alonso's best friend. And I don't think Fernando Alonso would say that facetiously over the radio. I just think he's that genuine of a human being. So... <laughs> Parting makes for such sweet sorrow. I think it's going to be really interesting to see him leaving this epitome of stability and going to what I would consider to be one of the most volatile, one of the most calamitous when given the right opportunity situations in Aston Martin. Because how many more points are you guys willing to give him over the point total that Seb has accumulated this year? And let me look up how much Seb got at the end of the season. While you're looking that up, just quickly, this this list says most retirements in 2022 by constructor. This does not have it broken out by driver. Alfa Romeo had 12 DNFs. Williams had 10 DNFs. Ferrari had nine. Alfa Tori had eight. Alpine had eight. Haas, seven. Aston Martin, six. McLaren, five. Red Bull, five. Mercedes, three. Wait, how can that be DNFs? How can they only have eight DNFs if we just counted off 10 DNFs for Alpine? No, no, no. I counted two for Ocon and uh, what is it? Six for Fernando? Yeah, six Lund- for Alonso. Are they counting? Oh, the- never mind. I can't order. count. It's okay. I quick math. That's okay. It's all right. It happens to so- the best of us. In your case, the very best. <laughs> yeah. Al- <laughs> Alpha Alpha Romeo definitely was 
was the worst, but it it felt like Alpine had the biggest like choke because they had the fa- fourth fastest car. They were the best of the rest. I mean, I know they still got fourth, but like they could have almost been fighting had they scored those other eight points or eight scored in those other eight point. races. They could have been fighting right on the heels of uh, of Mercedes or Ferrari or what you know, whatever. Or is that just me? No, you're you're spot on. I mean, it's just crazy to think of this. I I know this is a little off the rails from where we wanted to probably start this this conversation, but Ferrari finishing second in the constructors with nine DNFs is the wildest thing I can possibly imagine. Nine DNFs, like look at the other teams that are at the other five t- bottom five teams are the other the only teams that are anywhere near to that many DNFs. Williams had 10, Alpha with 12, Alpha Tori with eight, Alpine, Alpine with eight, Haas with seven. Nine DNFs for like the second team is wild to me. Like it just shows like how good they were supposed to be, in my opinion. They built a fast car, but not a strong car. I mean, it really was. It was like the, the Ferrari was either... On the podium or DNF. There was like no in between. Yeah, Not only that's that, crazy. I, can I tell you one more stat? With the exception of opening weekend, which was the only pointless weekend for Red Bull, they only had, let me count. No, they had, okay, never mind. They had a decent amount of DNFs, but I think Max had two, including two in the first three weeks, and then he did not have a single DNF. Checo had the first three. race. Yeah. Three so, total? I mean, yeah, three total. Yeah, actually, I, I, since we're on this stat of stats about DNFs, you know, that was Mer- Mercedes. Uh, Lewis Hamilton's DNF today was their first mechanical DNF all year. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, pretty, that's pretty impressive. Like for as bad as their car was up until like the last you know quarter of the season, they yeah, and, and now we have they... a whole off season to talk about what the potential is for Mercedes next year. <laughs> <laughs> Which rolls us into our next next segment. No, I'm kidding. Go for it. No, we don't have. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to speculate and be the the British press and be like, oh well, like. Are they finally back? Is Mercedes back? But Todd, I, I, I say this as an American sports fan. No matter what your American sports drug of choice is, there's at least three teams in your favorite sport that the media are just clamoring for them to be back. Hello, New York Knicks. Hello, Texas football. Hello, Michigan Wolverines. Like, Pick a sport. I'll give you three teams that old heads want to be back and they're ready the minute there's any sort of inkling of mediocrity you can't stop these people from getting a writing boner and waxing poetic about how team x is back and how the roses smell like roses and how you're shitting rainbows and pissing excellence it's just annoying to me but glad to see formula one is just like that because we have two teams like that i can think of right off the bat which is the prancing horse right over here and the German engineers of Mercedes, who, in spite of everything, you know how we talked about Alpine having eight DNFs and finishing fourth? 
Mercedes only had three and they finished third. I feel like that is also off. Yeah, I mean, it could be, but they, but they they just didn't win, right? Like, no, but what was our conversations around that team always was they were the one team that won because they were able to do damage control and they won in spite of themselves, whereas everybody else was always shooting their foot off, so to speak. Well, it wasn't winning, though, right? Like, let's let's qualify okay. that because yep. they weren't winning in spite of themselves. They were scoring in spite of themselves. Like, they like we we t- talked about George Russell, and he had what? He was either P five or better for however many races in a row. So it wasn't them winning; it was just consistently scoring because they were a professional operation and doing things as best they could with the car that they had at the time. So like we, we talked about Ferrari being uh, either on the podium or DNF. Like it was, that was their only two options. Like Mercedes was, wasn't, it, there was no peaks and valleys. It was just like, Oh, we're in the points every race. We're going to consistently get in the points. And then by the end of the season, as we saw, they had finally, you know, figured out the quirks and stuff with their car and they were, at worst, P three. You know, like they like they finished P three. That's where they deserve to be. I no. hope it's better next year. Not to like go into that is Mercedes back thing, but I want. There was just conversations about it in the Discord. Like, I I really want more teams fighting at the front. Obviously, they're the big three. You know, Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull. It'd be nice if we had a three way battle for the championship and that would be even more exciting because then they'd all be taking points off each other and we don't have max out 200 points ahead you know winning the championship with five races to go like we've had for the last with the exception of last season it's been like that for what since 2017 or something like that because 2016 was nico and then every championship since then was lewis winning by a mile now we have max winning by a mile so I just want closer racing, not closer racing, more parody in the parody yeah. is back. Yeah, I want parody is back. There you go. World constructor champion parody. By the way, one last stat. Uh, as some of the listeners may know, we have this very elaborate exhaust notes pod draft. So I looked at the season tally of the adjusted points because how we scored the drivers are we just flip the grid in terms of the points. So if you're in first place, you get 20 points. And if you finish the race in 20th place, you get one point. Max Verstappen was number one with 380 points. Can you guys guess who number two was and what their point total was? George Russell. George Russell, you son of a bitch, uh, with 349 points. And Leclerc was third in 335. And rounding out the top five were Checo Perez with 333 and Lulu Hamilton with 324. So slightly different than what we saw with the actual driver standings. But I still thought it was interesting that I think had it not been for Verstappen's Thanos-like ascension into God mode, we'd be talking about how George Russell is really putting Lewis to the fire, so to speak, even though this is his off year. Yeah. Well, I feel like that was the 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 face value feeling of Lewis's year. But then it came out later in the season that for the first like 10 races or something, he was the one taking all the development parts, seeing if they would work. Ah. So like when he would end up in P9 and we see 
George Russell like almost on the podium every race, it was because he was trying to develop the car to make it better, which I don't know if that, how much of that was true. But if I was a seven-time world championship champion driver and I had the option to be like, nope, I'm going to get the development parts because I want this car to behave like I want it to behave, not this new hot shoe in the team. Like that's what I would do, right? Take the pain up front. So this car next year, if it they develop it and it's even better, it's Lewis's car, not you know George's car. Yep, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I actually also think it's really interesting that uh, Lewis finished sixth in the drivers' championship, but he was actually only six points behind Carlos Sainz. Like I would have not thought. I thought Carlos had. I mean, I know Carlos had his fair share of DNFs too, but I just thought that he was much closer to the top than I guess he actually was. Probably feels like that because of like his recent run of races. Maybe yeah, mo- more recent. But that, then, I, then like Lewis had a pretty good, you know, I mean, he didn't get a win, but like definitely had the last four or five races seem to be pretty solid for both of Mer- Mercedes cars. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, where, where, what was I going to say? Oh, moving on. So like Max, do we see he won the race by, I mean, it, he was like probably out there knitting a sweater or something. Drinking like tea he, like Jean Girard he, and Ricky Bobby. <laughs> he sounded so bored in this race. Like, the one thing I thought that was the funniest was that radio towards the end. Um, when Max is out, out front by, I don't know, seven, eight, ten seconds, something like that. And Checo was, had to pit again. Um, he was on the two stop. And, and he was just like, oh, tell, tell Checo to, to send it. These tires, the tires will hold up. They're good. Like, not even trying, like, not even concentrating. He's just, Having a conversation. Do we think that we're going to see that level of dominance again? He almost feels a little bit untouchable. You just made the Thanos joke, but. I've been making it all season. Like at this point, until I see it with my own two eyes, it has to be him. Like barring some sort of tragedy or some sort of financial implosion by Red Bull, He's here to stay based on what you guys have said because the one thing that is common about this sport is with the exception of Nico Rosberg and I would maintain that's still not an exception if we're thinking about it in the terms of the Mercedes dynasty. This is a sport of streaky winners, meaning you're going to win four titles in a row and then somebody else is going to win five and then you may win two back. Like This isn't a hot potato title in terms of you'll get it one year but then somebody else may get it next year. And until we figure out what that next great equalizer is, this is Red Bull's decade to lose. Let me, let me clarify it a little bit, a little bit more. I feel like we saw this year, and I don't know if it because nobody was really giving a challenge to Max, or there wasn't a lot of wheel to wheel action for Max to have. Um, he grew up in a sense in his like we saw last year, like he's going to run into anything that's in front of him. Like it's either you're going to get out of my way or we're going to crash. And we did see that in Brazil last week, but with the exception of that, it was a very mature driving season from him. So even if he has somebody to race against next year, do we think we're going to see 
that old Max Verstappen or that this new I'm a two-time world champion? I know that I'm better than you, so I'll get you in the end by being smarter or whatever. Do we? Do we? Is Max going to have that newfound, relaxed? Like he obviously, like this year, he was on the knife edge performance-wise the entire year, and he didn't necessarily need to be like. Are we going to see that type of Max next year where it's just like I'm kind of how Lewis is about driving. He's very cerebral. He's very um, uh, like I'll get you in the end with my wits kind of thing. I'm explaining this badly, but no, no, I get what you're saying. And my thing is this. He, as the victor, gets to write the narrative and it may reflect one way to us in the moment. But decades down the line, when people are writing books and they're making documentaries about it, they can spin this however they want right now because that is truly the winner's advantage. So from what I've gathered, Lewis did mature a little bit. But I guess let me ask you this. For all of Max's newfound maturity, with the exception of probably the last two or three weeks, do you think he reached that next level where he is a killer when he needs to be and then he can coast when he needs to? Because I still see the same dude as I've always seen, which is, uber aggressive i'm gonna go for a gap whether it's there or not and if you get caught up in my wake oh well that happens i'm max verstappen i'm god's gift to racing i think that max is is leaps and bounds a smarter driver this season than he was last year like you know i I don't want to take away the credit that i think he deserves as much as i might not like the guy personally I think that he is he is definitely progressing as a driver and he had the best car. The thing that I don't the thing that like gives me hope that it'll be competitive next season is that Ferrari and and Mercedes both were their own worst enemies. You know, they didn't deliver the cars, right? Like the drivers are there. Charles Leclerc the the first, you know, the first few races, right? Like going back and forth with Mac, with Max was still some of my favorite moments of the season even you know it was so fun to watch them go back and forth but then ferrari just kind of like fell off into this no man's land of like oh we'll be close but we're just going to stay in second at best you know like you almost knew from like what six seven races in that ferrari was not going to hold up throughout the rest of the year to be competitive with max even though it wasn't like you know, it wasn't like he was that far in front. It was just like there was no we talked about it last episode. The Red Bull team deserves a lot of credit for for that. Right. Like Max is great and he definitely is smarter and, and more calculated with his driving. But the team just made sure that the car was always there for him. And I think mm-hmm. that's the thing that once one of these other teams, presumably Ferrari or Mercedes is going to do it next year. Right. Like they had this year of development. I mean, still, this is the first year of this of the this rule set and these cars, essentially. So I think I think it'll be interesting next year to see how how that plays out. I don't see anybody else coming in and, and you know, like really being at that top tier with them. But who knows? I, I wouldn't have thought that the midfield would have been as fun to watch this year as as it turned out to be. Yeah, I agree. I don't think anybody is going to step up into the the big and insert number there conversation is the big three now, but I don't think we're going to have like a big four, but that being said, do you think that we'll have 
a new best of the rest. I think we'll have the 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 big three, and I think it will get closer just because that's what happens. Like convergence happens as they develop cars, and hopefully, we'll see if it actually works. But hopefully, um, that you know wind tunnel development time penalty hampers Red Bull a little bit to bring Mercedes and Ferrari into the the fold a little bit. So if there's more com- competition there, but do you think we'll have a new? Best of the rest, Formula 1.5 winner. Yep. I think right now, if I'm going off of drivers alone, that should be McLaren's to lose. Or no, I'm sorry. That should be Alpine's to lose next year. I think they have the best driving pa- uh, pairing out of all the non-top big three teams. Really? You think that Gasly and Ocon are going to be yep. the team to I mean, beat? Let's, just go through, let's go through the list. What's McLaren I mean, about? I- I, I, I do I'm gonna, let me interject. I do think that there is some like kind of unspoken energy that comes with the this like tension. You know, well, yeah, but no, like I'm thinking of like Alpine, right? Like having we talked about like our wish to have uh, an American driver driving for Haas and maybe Danny Rick because he's the closest thing to American in terms of drivers right now. He embraces american pop culture in ways that would bring a ton of fans that energy is undeniably important in my opinion so i i if there is going to be a you know fourth member of the the midfield stepping up alpine is like they kind of have the right the right things going on i don't know that that it will happen but like you're gonna have a ton of fans die hard for the team this year in ways that you haven't in a long time Absolutely. so we're getting into a rabbit hole now but that's what we specialize in <laughs> it's true that's true for as like they already had one french driver and it really and maybe i'm paying attention to the wrong media but it really didn't feel like they flexed that whole we're french like team baguette we're you know like, That's because Alonso would have punched somebody in the middle of a race and they would have had like, <laughs> no, you know, but even with Ocon, like their marketing from what I saw, it didn't really ever feel like let's do that French national pride thing, even with Ocon. Yeah, but I think here's the thing. I'm the biggest Ocon fan in the group. He's not marketable in the same way that Danny Rick is, Fernando Alonso is, Lando Norris is, Verstappen is. Hell, even like I'd place the likes of Carlos Sainz and Checo Perez in terms of being more marketable than Ocon. So I think the man suffers from a lack of charisma. I think that's where Gasly comes in. He has a certain racing X factor that Ocon doesn't. And the other thing why I'm team Baguette all day, every day, especially underneath the prospects of them being the best of the rest and possibly turning into a conversation of top four, that's the ultimate pipe dream is the fact that if you just look at the driver accomplishments, I can't think of any other team outside of the top three that has two podium winners. Uh, and prove me wrong. Like I'm, I'm wildly speculating, but in my initial quick math, Mercedes has two uh, podium winners on their grid lineup next year. Ferrari does. Red Bull. You does. mean race winners or just race people? winners? Race winners. Race winners is what I meant. Oh, race winners. Okay. Yeah. No, that's definitely not people on the podium, probably. But I'd have to do that yeah, math. I mean, so, but I mean, 
And that's where I think the, I don't think maybe if they're lucky, they'll get one or two podiums each next year. I don't think they're going to be challenging for a race anytime soon, but I think that combined excellence coupled with the fact that there is still tension there. Like to me, that's all the ingredients of a thing going right. If it goes horribly wrong, which it's also got a 50, 50 shot of happening, then it's going to be delicious to watch just from a purely French fireworks perspective. Because if there's one thing that the French are great at at this point, besides driving race cars and making baguettes is being petty. And I think both those guys can be very petty. Shout outs to Richard and Kyle. That's what I'm going to call them next year if they start sucking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please remember that for next season when we have to start referencing them as Richard and Kyle Petty. Um, I mean, I'm so glad so, I asked this question. Go ahead, Nick. Well, so the reason why it has to be Alpine if there's going to be a fourth team near the top is you. who, who else is it going to be, right? Okay, maybe Aston Martin if Alonso goes over there, but there's going to be a lot of tension between Lance Stroll and Papa Stroll and Alonso, right? Like it'll be fun for 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 a few weeks, and then like there will be something that you know sends it out out of the norm for what's acceptable. And next thing you know, yeah, it's just I think it'll be problematic. But if you look at all the other teams that that you know, like okay, McLaren is is probably the the closest in terms of where the car is at lando is is has been great but the car hasn't been great enough for him to get any higher than what he finished seventh seventh oscar piastri is you know he's an unknown commodity at this point he's gonna be great but like you're you're bringing in a a new driver to to formula one it's so rare that that like very young drivers come out and dominate their first years because they got to learn the car they got to learn the the politics they got to you know Except for Oscar Piastri. Hopefully, maybe, sort of. But like the reality is like anybody else, right? Uh, uh, Who's with Williams? Uh, Logan Sargent. Oh, yeah, Logan Sargent. The one American. We got an American back on the grid. Yeah, which will be awesome. But like they're not going to be anywhere near the top. Like it's just not happening, you know? So like there's just Alpha Tori, Nick DeVries. Like, I mean, he's great. I, I actually am excited to watch him race, but like the team just doesn't have enough to deliver something that's consistently ab- above, you know, wherever they're at eight, nine. I mean, they, they finished below Haas, right? Like that's wild to me. <laughs> Let's see. I'm looking up to. Yeah. yeah my point is my... the Haas beat them by two points. Yeah. I mean, my, my point is like all, you know, we can we can have all these like you know hopes and dreams to have a more competitive you know midfield and, and upper echelon of of racing, but when you're bringing in you know kind of like new drivers to teams that are in the midfield, I would say that adds another year to their. Oh, uh, we're we're still getting our shit together, you know. Development it's, cycle. Yeah, it's it's the it's the thing I hate most about professional sports is like oh this is a rebuilding year. Yeah, and most rebuilding years are literally rebuilding franchises for like 50 years. They don't actually rebuild anything. They say they're going to do something. And then, you know, 20 years later, the fan base is like, yes. Have you done anything? Are we back? Have we com- been competitive? No. <laughs> you sound our, like a scorned our... Maple Leafs fan. No, I was going to say, you sound like a Sacramento Kings fan. Sacramento Kings <laughs> But it's it's true it's it's true across so many teams though you know like the the teams that 
teams that win, I mean, what, you know, like there, there's a reason why, like we look at Mercedes now, even though they weren't at the top and we know that they can be and should be, and probably will be at some point, you know, like that, that's just, it's not even like a, you know, like it's, it's more rare for a situation to happen. Like what has happened with Williams over the past few years where they went from one of the best teams in the entire in the world of racing, not even just formula one, like Williams is like, like super upper echelon of, of racing in my opinion. And then now they've had what, six, eight years of just like nothing basically. And I think that's super rare to, to see somebody get fall off that far. Like I can't think of anybody, you know, maybe Dallas Cowboys, New York. Knicks, say, so like, you're saying Williams racing, there. not back for 2023. <laughs> I mean, I would love to see, I, I I think we've talked about this, but like Williams is like so old school in formula one that there's always that like hope for me that they outperform where they've been and, and get themselves back up into the, you know, upper midfield. They were like fighting for poles and podiums in like the early 2010s. Yeah. And yeah. now they scored 751 points less than Red Bull, which is a <laughs> stack. Like, could you imagine a professional sports team in any sport, pick a sport, scoring like hundreds of points less in a total season? Then that's like the Giants scoring one home run in a season where the f- first place team in baseball scored 400 runs. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought there was like a San Antonio Spurs winning percentage that said that during their peak years, they still had more, or during their off years, they still had more wins than like half the Western Conference. I've got to figure out what that stat was, but that's always been the gold standard for me. But yeah, it's next year can't get here soon enough in a way because I really want to see how this shakes out because we've had a lot of driver lineup that we've some of us predicted and it is going to be interesting because as much as I would like there to be a big four or a new participant join Mercedes and or sorry Alpine and McLaren and Formula 1.5 I just think it's going to be status quo so uh, that's going back to the initial question who was going to be the best of the rest I think Alpine is going to fall way off the only saving grace that they have for that team, I'm not excited about either of their drivers. Sorry, I know you love Ratatouille. I think he is mediocre. He's like a safe pair of hands, but he's not going to... He's a race winner because of Fernando Alonso. Uh, and As, as and, far as I'm concerned, all I heard there was that's another 25 points Fernando Alonso lost, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> Basically that. I think... Their whole like operating structure and how they have like a bunch of mid-level management and they're partially owned by the French government and they have this potential driver beef explosion waiting to happen. Um, I think they are going to fall off from being the best of the rest or, you know, the Formula 1.5 champions. I think McLaren will still be there, but not ready to be to join the top three. This is gonna sound crazy, but I, I think, think I know where you're going. What's your guess, Romeo? 
Uh, no, so I could see them getting in the mix, but I don't think they're there yet because their car was so bad this year. I think Aston Martin's going to be there. From your mouth to Fernando Alonso's year, because I was going to say that might be the third championship that's eluding Fernando all these years. No, it's not going to be a champ. He's not going to ever win a driver's championship again, I don't think. Will he, I mean, will he win a podium? Um, Yeah, on like a freak race, I could see him on a podium. The reason I say that is because whatever the – we've seen this for a few years now <clears throat> Um, since uh, – Lance, not Lance, Lawrence Stroll took over the supervillain. They're just like, what's the best car? Copy it. And they did that again this year. They copied, like, Red Bull came out with a very specific side pod shape, and they're like, I don't know, six, seven weeks later, they had those side pods. So I think they're going to find, spin the offseason by copying all the best bits that they think is around the grid. Because they have that new presentation thing that every team has to do before every race now, the presentation hour. And they just send their engineers out and they're like, oh, you know, those wing mirrors work really well. Or these these side pods or this, you know, this uh, rear wing, whatever. Whatever it is. I think they're going to copy their way into being in a fight for best of the rest. I don't ever think that team's going to take – like a step forward far enough into being like the competing for the, you know, the big time. But I think they could be that like dark horse. They won't ever be underdogs again. Cause they lost that when they sold the team to, to Lawrence stroll. But like the pink Mercedes did really well. It was really fast. And it seems like the last few races, that uh, Aston Martin car took a huge step forward in terms of pace. Like we saw Seb today, like legit fighting in the points. And he somehow willed that car into Q3 and during qualifying. So I think, I, I think we're going to see Aston Martin fighting McLaren next year for best of the rest. And Alpine will be ruining Otmar, who is a lovely man. They're going to ruin him, chew him up, spit him out, and that team's going to just fall apart. One more thing with regards to the Petty Bros. Can we spell it like the French spelling of Petit? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) By the way, that's the best joke anybody's going to write about Formula One for the next three years. So you're welcome, Internet (laughs) and the world, because I've spoken it into existence. I just would like some sort of karmic uh compensation back whether that's a residual check i don't know just give it to me we all know i came up with it in this moment what is it it is 10 04 p.m whq pacific standard time on november 20th 2022 just remember your boy when the petite brothers kyle and ricard are fighting and getting podiums next year i think it happens I think you know, they fall apart. Actually, fall we're apart. gonna we'll get yep. into the degenerate gambling thing. But remember that one for our next bet. Our hot bro. takes, hot takes twenty four. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to them. So I think we should run through the construction, the the final. Maybe we do both final drivers standings and constructors standings. I've got the driver's standings up right now, and 
Todd, do you want to bring up the constructors or Nick while I read those? One of you guys can figure out who wants to do that. But our final 2022 driver standings. In first place, Max Verstappen with 454 points. In second place, Charles Leclerc with 308. Sergio Perez in third with 305. Shout out to Pitbull. Uh, fourth place, George Russell with 275. Fifth place, Carlos Sainz, 246. Lewis Hamilton in sixth with 240. Lando Norris, seventh place with 122 points. Esteban Ocon, 92 points. His teammate Fernando Alonso with 300. No, I'm sorry, 81 points. Uh, Valtteri Botas cracking the top 10 with an Alfa Romeo car with 49 points. Then we go to Daniel Ricciardo in 11th with 37 points tied with Sebastian Vettel, 37 points. That's kind of a nice symbolic symmetry there, ex-Red Bull drivers. Kevin Magnussen in his first season back, scoring a respectable 25 points. Pierre Gasly with a very disappointing 23-point season in 14th place. Lance Stroll in 15th with 18 points. Mick Schumacher in 16th place with 12 points. Yuki Tsunoda, 17th place, 12 points. Zhou Guanyu, six points in his rookie season. Alexander Albon in his return back to Formula 1 with four points. Nicholas Latifi with two points in the 20th position. 21st was Nick DeVries and with two points as well. Nico Hulkenberg, the only driver on the grid with no points to go with his no podiums. Ouch. Hey, but he did get a seat for next he year. He did so at the expense of Mick Schumacher. There. <laughs> All right, final constructor standings. Red Bull Racing uh, took the constructors championship with 759 points. Ferrari, uh, f- second place is, with 554. Mercedes in third with 515. Alpine, Renault in fourth with 173. McLaren, Mercedes with 159 in fifth. Alfa Romeo Ferrari in sixth with 55 points. Aston Martin, Mercedes in seventh with 55 points. Uh, Haas Ferrari in eighth with 37 points. Alfa Tori in ninth with 35 points. And Williams Mercedes in tenth with eight points. Eight points. Put a capitalization on that. That I know I'm I'm broken record here, but that's so wild to me when you think about from 1980 to like 1999 ish, 20 year run. Williams probably won eight or nine constructor titles, like almost half of them through that era at least six or seven driver titles, right? Something like that. Like they were dominant from like most of my like childhood, you know, teenage childhood and teenage years. They were the team that to beat. Definitely in the nineties. I want to say they had a pretty good, pretty good time in the early eighties. And then I think they had, had a little bit of a slump. And then the nineties, they came back. That was like the, Yeah, like the 92, 93, 94. They were fighting McLarens for world championships then. But, yeah, I agree with you. It's it's staggering to me to see how far they've fallen off. Like, that first season of Drive to Survive was so sad to see that, like, state of that team when they were showing all the yeah. behind-the-scenes stuff in the factory. So, Constructors Championships from 
I thought you meant there was somebody else that, that should have taken the seat. Or like or pick That's a junior. Place. Like I understand that Haas isn't yeah. in that like it doesn't have that luxury that they and I understand why they went for Nico because they have then two exper- experienced pair of hands that will hopefully now that they're at the budget cap with their new sponsor will push the car forward into potentially in a year, maybe two, playing for that best of the rest of the midfield. But I don't think that it's like not an exciting pick. I don't know. Like there's a reason he's got however many starts and no podiums, 176 or something like that. Yeah. That's like half, more than half of Sebastian Vettel's starts, race starts, and he has zero podiums. You think he would have lucked into one. Here's the thing for a country, and I don't know how well this stereotype applies to racing that has prided itself on its efficiency. Nico Hulkenberg <laughs> might be the most inefficient German of all time. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that is true. I mean, he did. Didn't he win Le Mans? He did. Or he was part of the. Part of the Porsche team that won? Yeah. I mean,. Doesn't compare to to Formula One. It's completely different, but yeah. No, he's a good I, I driver. Know, like, he, don't get yeah, me wrong. He's I, a really good driver. I just it's he such hasn't an been on a team pick. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the you know the worst of the the, the worst of the rest is going to end up being one of the young guys. Like one of them is just going to fold under the pressure. It's going to be really difficult for him. Juan Joe, sophomore slump. So- <laughs> No, I think you were I right. I think earlier. he's going to do really well. What? I think, bro. Even though he was joking and just saying it to be mean to you, Nick. I think the. I think Yuki is going to have. Yeah. Well. I don't want it to be. I don't want that's it to be the true. End of the show for. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and signing off year. forever. <laughs> Tune in next year when Exhaust Notes is exclusively a Yuki Sonoda documentary podcast. <laughs> No, I, I mean, I think that Yuki is, uh, I mean, he's already getting probably more handed to him than any driver on, on the grid, right? I mean, with the exception of a of a stroll, you know, he's not performing up to, to anybody's standards. So um, I don't expect him to be around unless he drastically changes his success next year. Or if Honda makes him stay because they're coming back to Formula One. Yeah, well, there's a that's a that's a rumor, huh? There's there's the uh, I I don't I forget who it was, but somebody basically slipped up and and was like, well, all these all these Red Bull guys have to be in Japan for this Honda announcement, right? In the broadcast today. Oh, did you catch really? That? I did <laughs> yeah. not catch that. Yeah, do tell them. They didn't say what it was, but it was. It was basically like they were talking to, uh, I forget who they're, you know, they're talking to everybody about, oh, time off, blah, blah, blah. And like somebody said, well, actually, you know, like they've got it. There's a big, there's a big Honda thing happening that they've got, they've all got to be at. So they don't really get to take time off. It's like, I wonder what that is. (laughs) Was that in the, like the post-race F1 TV thing or something? I'm going to have to It's it's on the YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look this up right now, but that is very interesting. Red Bull Honda thing. They already had yeah. well I mean um they already had Dr. Evil and Nick DeVries fly to Japan for something 
in the last several weeks. So, I mean, it makes sense. I should, Hada should have just stuck with it, in my opinion. But I felt that way the last time they did this. <laughs> the last two so, times, you mean? Yeah. But hey, how else does Braun GP get a <laughs> world championship? If you don't have Honda's fuckery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, is there anything else to wrap up for this race or this season before we launch into the off-season episodes? To our 12 million fans or the 33 million fans I quoted at the start of the <laughs> podcast, uh, we will be giving our bets and hot takes their own episode. I think as Todd or Nick may have mentioned earlier, I'm right now filling out as many of them as I can for all of us. And let's just say uh, we are very much going through a Mendoza line in terms of how prolific we've been in terms of hits and misses. We are not cracking 200 at this rate. <laughs> I can't wait to go through that. I actually haven't looked back at them, and I'm going to try to keep myself from going into looking at them okay. until we go to the episode. But, yeah, that's going to be fun. Yeah. Oh, one I last just... question. This is relevant to this season. What do you guys think of the new regulations? Did they work? Would you rather have the old ones back? Is this what? the number of cars that can pass before you restart regulations or which, which regulations are we talking about here? <laughs> Nicholas. <laughs> Poor Yuki. Uh, um, no, the new like arrow regs. I, I think, I think it was great. I mean, look, Max is Max just came out and whooped everyone's ass. And that's always a disappointment. Like unless you're, you know, super Max fan, like that's not a fun way to watch racing, right? Um, but there was so much passing and there was so much back and forth between drivers throughout the entire season. I I think it's one of the few times that, that I feel like the FIA did a really good job at like kind of like reshuffling the field in a way that they haven't been able to actually do. You know, we talk about it, right? It's it's complete dominance almost you know, five to 10 years at a time in this sport over the past, you know, 30, 40 years for the most part. And, you know, take, take away Max being, you know, so dominant, everything else was actually pretty enjoyable. I mean, even, even down to Checo and, and Leclerc, you know, battling for a second, you know, so. Yeah, I'd agree. I got to give him props. I agree with Nick. I probably agree with you, Todd, if I read your body language and face correctly. You also have to give something more than a year before you deem it a complete and total failure, unless it is a complete and total failure. And I think what we've seen from this first year is potential. And if that potential can lead to parity and parity is truly in fact back and we don't get the decade of Verstappen like we think we are, then I think ultimately it will be viewed as a success. Yeah, I agree. I think it's only going to get closer. I think... I don't know if they'll ever be able to actually truly create parity because they can't unless they went to like some sort of spec racing car. Everybody's got the same machinery. And even then, like in Formula 2, they do that. And there's always two, three, four, maybe five teams that are seem to be always in contention. And then the rest of them are just trying to get there. But if we have 
you know, Ferrari not shit the bed next year and we have Charles and Max actually fighting for more of a season and we get that like midfield battle like we had and even like the boring races, they were still if they weren't able to make the pass, they were still able to stay within a couple of seconds, which previously wasn't uh, like uh, you weren't able to do that for more than a lap. And then your tires were overheated and you were screwed. So now we have way closer following and racing. And I think it was absolutely like Nick said, besides the dominance, um, the best season of formula one that I can remember minus last year. Like that'll, that's an anomaly. I don't think we'll get that again anytime soon, but I think it'll, uh, overall it was amazing. And we had, I said that stat, I think in the pre-show, but this race in Abu Dhabi had more passes than the last two races in Abu Dhabi combined. Wow. So there's a stat line for you. Yeah, I mean between between you know last year and and this year, I mean the only downside to the sport right now is is Max being so dominant. You know, like outside oh. of that, it's been it's been great. Yeah. Um, Did we lose him? Oh no! Did Nick Engvall pull the Rowett Malhotra mysterious disappearance of the week award? I got a screenshot a screenshot that for the Discord. Can you God, hear me? look at that. It's like he's undressing me with his eyes. <laughs> All right. Well, I am going to. <laughs> he's back. Oh, no. I feel oh, so he's there. <laughs> yep. All right. Oh, that was a good one. Did you get the screenshot? I did get the screenshot. It is now in the discord for anyone that wants to go join the discard and see it. <laughs> I was going to say pedo bear. Thy name be Nicholas Engvall. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think that's a perfect segue to go into fantasy corner. Hey, right. I like it. I like it a lot. That might be the best segue of the season. <laughs> head over to fantasy corner good job let the record show that was a todd yates original oh shit <laughs> okay well we're gonna start with the voldemort league we'll see we'll see if 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 grid rival is listening make some freaking changes to your app i mean start with just not making your username your password hey um, oh and then the, you know, maybe we'll be back there. But uh, final season standings, I uh, was in P3 in that league. Uh, one, Nick Ingvall, Speeding Burritos, was in P2 of that league. And Julie Wood, shout out to winning the uh, Voldemort League with a staggering 19,596 points, Julie Wood took the World Drivers' Championship. Moving on to the F1 official Discord League. We're going to take uh, a moment of silence for all of the lost, unused, 
mega drivers that didn't get used <laughs> even though i tagged both of you in the discord a few days ago to use your mega drives no no here's the thing as hosts of this podcast we also view ourselves as hosts of the community and sometimes the best way a host can host is to let the guests win so you're welcome Okay, I like. I mean, I, I I wish I had good intentions like that. I just completely forgot. I don't know what you're telling me, Nick. All I remember you saying is, "Oh, gee, gee, golly whiz, guys! Every competition I enter, I'm in last place. I'm ready to see how you kicked my ass in this competition, Engvall. Go ahead, Todd. Bury the knife deep in my heart. All right. So in uh, the F1 official Discord league, um. In P3, we had Gunther's dream team, John S., with 165 points. This is for Abu Dhabi results only. I'll move on to the season totals in a second. In second place, our favorite Canadian brother that isn't Lance Stroll, uh, Trevor D., Air Max Verstappen, uh, with 206 points. And in first place, with I believe his only P1 of the season, Rohit. What? Rohizi Malhotra. Sometimes you don't even need the Mega Drive. With 212 points. <laughs> to be fair, Ro, everybody else had already used theirs. Well, most yeah, people had. I can't control what everybody else does. I just know this. I don't have an asterisk on my title win this year because I didn't. <laughs> so really, what you're telling me is I'm the lineal champ. You no performance-enhancing drugs for this team. You're only good as your last cha- your last race win, and you went out on top. That's right. Uh, I was uh, let's see. I got uh, fifth place in that race, and Nick was uh, solid P13 out of seventeen. Seventeen. That's fine. That's not last place. That's not Nicholas Latifi. No, it's not. All right. Season totals. Oh, I can't believe I lost. Um, <laughs> I'm just mad because... Uh, Please save brother, editorializing until the end, sir. Nick's brother, Alpha Ash Ari, took P3 in the Young season Mega totals. Drive. Young Mega, Mega Drive. Drive. Mega Drive, Mega Drive, Mega Drive. Mega P3 Drive! With 4,005 points. Hey. Uh, in P2, shout out A.A. Ron, all Haas, no breaks, with 4,074 points. And Mr. I win everything in fantasy, Trav Pete, the Trav Pete, with 4,117 points. So a a solid, solid victory there. I was uh, in P4 with 3,930 points, so... Best of the rest, I guess. I'm Formula 1.5. Yeah, nice work, Alpine. Uh, P6, <laughs> with his Mega Drive, could have probably jumped up past me nope. and fifth place if he had used his Mega Drive um, with 38.95 was Rohizi. And the Speeding Burritos didn't quite crack the top 10. Finished in uh, P14 with 2954. Can I defer my Mega Drive to Nick? Maybe. 
Hey, with two Mega Drives, I might have made it into the top ten. <laughs> you actually probably would have. Do they stack, or they? Is it just? It's. I don't think the Mega Drive is a part of the rollover minutes economy. <laughs> yeah. Do you get? Do you get like the points times three, and then times that by three, or is it just? Anyway, I feel like I, there should be some advantage of not playing your Mega Drive. I just throwing that as a recommendation for next year officially. <laughs> if I had control of it, I would have twisted these rules somehow to where I didn't finish off the podium. So yes, that's fair. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, but seriously, for a second, I want to take a, a, take a second to shout out everybody that played along with us this season. It was super fun. This was our first year. Uh, doing it and i want to thank everybody for hopping in and you know even if you weren't a big formula one fan uh just giving it a chance so thank you guys for playing along with us that was awesome and we will probably do that league again next year unlike another league who shall not be named yeah definitely yeah and then the one that everyone is waiting for me especially all right. <clears throat> the Abu Dhabi results for the uh, podcast official fantasy draft league. Need to come up with a better name next year. The Sebastian Vettel Cup. Sebastian Vettel Cup. Memorial. <laughs> it needs to have like a crazy long name like Michael Scott's Yeah. Run for the Kids Memorial. <laughs> whatever the hell. All right. Uh, this week... I had the off week. Um, I was in P4 with 43 points. In uh, P3, we had Rohizi with 50 points, Aaron with 53 points in P2, and Nick taking the top spot uh, with 58 points. And let's scroll over to this season-ending totals. So... In fourth place, we had one AA run with 1,071 points. In uh, P3, taking the lowest step on the podium, Rohizi with 1,090 points. God damn it. By two points. Yep. And because of his monster week this week, Nick Gingball takes P2 in the season championship. With 1,092 points. I hope that freezes. <laughs> and, and I... Uh, I took this one. Pretty much thanks to the consistency of uh, one Checo Perez. Um, I took P1 in the podcast official Fantasy Draft League 5K oh, run for the kids. Memorial. I was just gonna say this. It's it's a team effort because I think you had the fewest DNFs out of all of us. That's really what it comes down to. Thanks to our scoring system. Yep. And I don't know if I like that or not, but kudos to you, Todd. It's worth. Well, thanks, Mercedes, for only having one DNF this year. Or Lewis, I should say. Yeah. I think. Sweet Lulu had two DNFs. I see him in España and Abu Dhabi. I am a little disappointed that I I went against my own emotional 
connection to other drivers and chose Max and still didn't win. <laughs> that is a really interesting, uh, really interesting stat that you had the most dominant driver performance of by a driver that we've seen and somehow didn't. No, I, I, you know what? If we had one more race, you probably would have. No, I don't. I think, to be honest, looking at this over the trajectory of the entire season, I'm surprised Nick didn't go into second place sooner. Like, he has been exceptionally dominant in the fact that because he has Max Verstappen, and it's really something it's hard to kind of quantify to you as a listener, but one thing I did do with this spreadsheet that I'm sure we'll probably release to our Patreon because I'm sure somebody will find a way to make it better and I will steal it and we'll try to implement that for next year. But I color coded it. So anytime somebody won a race, they have what I consider to be that fastest lap purple and Nick's first entry in his team subsection is Max Verstappen. And it's one red, one purple, one red, and then it's just purple, 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 it's absurd that he took as long as he did to get to second place. And I'm in agreement with you, Todd. I think had there been a 23rd race, like I think it was originally scheduled to be. So in a way, Nikita Mazepin's ruined this again for all of us. Nick Engvall did not get his rightful place as first place. Yeah, this this is really interesting to look at because I had Danny Rick... Well, yeah, I was just Espan about Oakman, to bring that up. Alex Albon and and Kevin Magnuson. So I have like just an absurd amount of DNFs. You you you, you should be thanking your lucky stars that you went a, a, against your pick your favorite drivers because with yeah. those four, in like the only reason you're in second place is Max. So now yeah, you yeah. are oh, yeah. the biggest Max stand on the pod. I, here's the thing. I will not have you besmirch the Esta Bandit because the Esta Bandit had only two DNFs and he was a pretty consistent performer because if you look at driver metrics, and I probably need to update this as well, I did a whole adjusted points per race where I took our adjusted points scale and then I divided that by the number of races and I need to do that for Esteban Ocon just to see if something is right. And with that, his adjusted points per race is 11.2, which according to our scale would mean that in an average race, he would be around 10th place. So Ocon did his part. It's those other three clones that let you down. <laughs> I didn't even know this sheet existed until right now. The driver metrics? Yeah. I, I mean, I know it, once the, once we make our picks, everything is locked in, so it doesn't really matter. But this would be so massively helpful in like a real fantasy league. Well, totally. gentlemen, there you go. That's what I'm going to give to you all next year. Wow. That's really cool. Thanks. Well, I think... Uh, I think your idea in releasing to this, releasing this into the Discord to see what peop, ideas people have for it. I've got some myself, like maybe implementing trades next year. Oh yes, bring it on! I'm all about that trade life. Uh, something like that. I've got some ideas floating around in my old burnt noggin. But anyway, <laughs> that's the season. But stick around with us in the off season. Cause we've got some fun, probably equally psychotic episodes for you.
Look, definitely. As the popular internet theory goes, you need 10,000 hours to be good at something. I'd say we're halfway to that 10,000 hours. And I would say maybe a quarter of them are even considered good. So watch us struggle to get that next quarter around our 10,000 hour mark. But we've got good stuff planned. We've got a couple of interviews with very interesting people. Some may or may not be famous on different corners of the internet. So we're looking forward to sharing that with you guys, our listening audience. And if you have any ideas for topics that you want us to cover in the off season, we're all ears. Let us know in the discord. Otherwise fun season. Congrats on your exhaust notes, official fantasy league of exhaust notes, podcast of America draft run, run for the kids. Mem- Sebastian Memorial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, no, that feels feels good. Even though I don't know really, like what I just won. We need to have like a prize and a shame sh- a shame prize next year. I was gonna say, what is the podcasting equivalent of doing a donut? Because you deserve it, my friend. I think we should get you a Nicholas Latifi T-shirt. I will proudly wear that, or just a <laughs> Nutella T-shirt. Because can it be a screen-printed Nicholas Latifi eating Nutella T-shirt? Like <laughs> I guarantee that's on like Redbubble or Etsy somewhere. Or Red Tube. <laughs> oh, <Jesus. laughs> oh man. I just earned that explicit rating for this episode. You're welcome, Nick. Uh, <laughs> it's not Nutella. <laughs> oh Jesus. All right. <laughs> Two Allegedly. girls, one Latifi. Allegedly. <laughs> All right, guys, let's let them know how they can find you outside of the podcast. I don't know how to follow that up. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at R A H B E E seven. No, it's not. That's not my thing. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as long as Twitter exists at Rohizi. Otherwise, you can find me on Instagram at Rohizi13, part of the Sneaker History Network, part of the Exhaust Notes Network. Todd, where can they find you? Actually, I haven't even – I forgot this last – or I think I was off the podcast last time because my son woke up uh, right at the end. Um, you can find me on Instagram at dadshue, D-A-D-S-H-U-E, shout out Michael Schumacher, dot JPEG at, on Instagram. I'm still TEZF1 on Twitter, but if Twitter survives, I will be changing that as well. Here's hoping. Yep. Uh, you can find me at Nick Ingvall on all the platforms. More importantly, hit that first link in the description and you can join us in the Discord with the rest of the competitors in our uh, Fantasy League. Again, thanks everybody for supporting and joining. That was a blast. Um, congrats to Julie and to Travis for winning on the other two. And uh, we appreciate y'all. Make sure you connect with us at Exhaust Notes FM on all the platforms. And we'll see you in the next episode. Peace. Peace.